This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for October 15, 2023. The title of the message is Forgiven Much, Love Much. Good morning. It is always a privilege and honor to, to stand before you, to open God's Word, and to um, proclaim God's Word to you. Well, if you'd open your Bibles with me, we come to uh, our passage in the series through um, a short topical series, Walking by Faith, Not by Sight. If you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, if you um, have a different translation or you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the bulletin or the um, slide behind me, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. But before we hear God's word read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his help. Our Father, we come this morning thankful for your Holy Spirit, whom you have given as a deposit, a down payment, a guarantee of all that we have. And one of the ways in which um, you give you use the Holy Spirit in our lives is to comfort us uh, and also to guide us into all truth. Uh, Lord, would you send your comforter so that we might understand uh, what we're about to hear, not only as it is, it is read, but also as it is preached. And Lord, help us to listen intently. Help us, Lord, to let the worries and anxieties of the world uh, uh, fade into the background and help us then to fix our eyes upon you through your word. Uh, Lord, and as we do that, um, would you use it as a testimony to ourselves and to one another and to the whole world that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now then the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. There's a, um, there was a building uh, in Harlem, New York City. It's a story that I'd heard when I was in college there. That a young girl, a young blind girl, was sitting on the windowsill on the fourth floor. And the firefighters came, but they couldn't use their ladders because the building, uh, the buildings were too close together. And, uh, and there was, uh, the, the building was on fire. And all they could do was spread out their net and tell her to jump. Imagine being blind and someone tells you to jump four stories into a net you can't see. And so I think like most of us, if not all of us, she would not jump. She wouldn't uh, take that leap. Uh, she heard the voices of the firefighters, uh, but you know, she didn't trust them. She didn't know who they were. You know, it, it could be a, a horrible, uh, grotesque uh, trick for all she knew. Finally, her father had, had, was able to make it. Her father came and told her with a bullhorn to jump. And she trusted her father. She listened to his voice. And so she jumped. And the net caught her uh, without any scratches. She knew that she couldn't save herself. And so she trusted her father. She knew him and believed him that he loved her and would take care of her. And so she placed her trust in him enough to actually jump, to jump to safety, to jump to, to life, uh, and, uh, and to jump uh, because she knew that her father loved her and had the, was, wanted only the best for her. You see, her faith, her absolute trust in her father saved her that day. And this is what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. As we trust in the one who loved us, it is through that faith, the receiving of the love through faith, the receiving of the grace through faith, in which then we step out in faith to jump, if you will, uh, and, we, and, and, that, that, the, and obeying by faith. Uh, saves us, uh, that's what salvation looks like. This, in many ways, this is what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. The little girl had no choice but to walk by faith because she had no sight. And what the Lord is calling us to do as we consider uh, the passage this morning is to walk by faith and to close our eyes and, and trust his voice 
to trust in, in Jesus who tells us to follow him and we will be saved. And, and so this is what, what uh, faith looks like. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Luke gives us a portrait of how faith uh, saves us. And so let's look at uh, Luke's account here and look at the, the character of faith. First, faith is grounded in a repentance that recognizes our sin and need for Jesus. Before we look at that, let me just give you a little bit more context here. Uh, Jesus is invited to Simon's house, and, and this Simon is a Pharisee. And so he invites Jesus and presumably uh, the other disciples, as well as the movers and shakers of the city there. And he invites them to dinner at his house. And by this time in Jesus's ministry, uh, he's becoming more and more famous, and he is also at the same time growing uh, in his popularity as well as the tension with the religious establishment, namely the Pharisees uh, and the, uh, the teachers of the law, uh, those who are entrenched in the religious structures of, of Israel in that day. And so this dinner may have been a way to see what Jesus is all about. You know, let's see what Jesus is about. You know, I'm just gonna, and let's invite him to dinner. Let's, let's, let's see if he's for real, right? And, and there's probably some disdain in that. Uh, maybe even some uh, condescension and skepticism there. And so he invites Jesus to see if, he, if what the people are saying about him is true. Right? Let, let's see with, our, with my own eyes well, who this guy is. Uh, is he a great prophet? Is he a miracle worker? Is he who uh, he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah? Right? Look at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And then a woman who probably had heard him preach the synagogue in, the, in, the, in that small city, that small town, heard Jesus preach the gospel, right? Repent and believe, and, and to hear the, the offer of the forgiveness of sins through faith. And, and so she invites herself to the dinner. I, th I think uh, the Pharisees, the, the religious establishment were, were seen as public figures. And so when they had a dinner, it was almost a, uh, uh, an open invite, if you will. Or, and, the, and this is another possibility, is that, uh, that a lot of people were invited and she just intrudes on herself. You know, very much like the bleeding woman who kind of says, you know, she, she knows that she's, she's unclean, but she kind of sneaks in there and pushes herself into the crowd and touches just the, the, the hem of, of, of his cloak. Uh, this woman is, is desperate to see Jesus, to, to be near him. And... And so she heard probably Jesus proclaim with power and authority and, and she realizes that she needs to repent and believe and so when she does, she experiences the overwhelming grace and love of God as well as the forgiveness of sins that were offered to her and she is completely, completely uh, undone and completely 
thankful and grateful for the grace that has been offered to her when so many other people have ridiculed her, uh, alienated themselves uh, from her and shunned her, and mocked her, uh, maybe for her lifestyle. And we'll touch on that in a moment. But let's see um, what her repentance and faith looks like now as she encounters Jesus. Look at verse 37. She is not only humble, but she's repentant. Uh, even Luke is surprised by what this woman does. Like, look, look at what he says there, the language. Take note of the language. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Right? Now, we don't know for sure uh, what Paul means or what, what, what Luke means by a woman of the city, but uh, if, you know, if there's nothing new under the sun, you know, uh, maybe it's the same idea that comes across when we talk about a woman of the night, a woman who, who walks the city, knows the city, and cities were notorious for, um, for all the things that are done in cities, uh, particularly prostitution. Maybe there's some kind of sexual immorality, some kind of, of immorality going on here, and that's why Luke goes on to say that she was a sinner. Um, she was notor- a notorious sinner, not just any kind of sinner, to where they call her a woman of the city. And so she has a reputation at the very least for sin, and yet now she is compelled to come and find Jesus. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And see, she's humbling herself because she's doing whatever it takes to see Jesus. Uh, I think that's an important principle because when you want to see Jesus, what what you're saying is, is that I need Jesus. You're recognizing that you have a need for Jesus and you humble yourself. And how does she do that? She brings a costly gift, a bottle of perfumed oil worth a, a great sum of money. In, in those days, perfumed oil was very much like the most expensive bottles of, of perfume. If you've, if you've ever gone to some of the high-end, uh, high-fashion uh, houses uh, in Beverly Hills, for example, and you get the most concentrated, uh, most potent uh, of fragrances by, you know, you name them, uh, they are not cheap. They, it's, if it, when you hear what they cost, sometimes it feels like it's a down payment on a house. Um, and, and that's what this, uh, this alabaster jar of ointment is. It is the most expensive, most rare, most costly item uh, that one could, could own. And what she's doing, she brings it and standing behind him, she's overcome. And, uh, and standing be- behind him, she's going to pour it out. And what we see here then is that she's not only humble and repent, but she is sorrowful for her sins and pours out her. The, 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 the bottle of alabaster of ointment is a, a, an illustration of her love and dedication uh, uh, for Jesus. 
Look at what, what happens in verse 38. Overcome with emotions, she begins to weep when, Je- when she finds Jesus and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. There's, there's the, the humility, the repentance, and the sorrow for her sins. Because she knows, she knows what God has done for her. She knows the forgiveness that God has given to her in the gospel through Jesus. And I think once she sees Jesus, she just can't help herself. The flood of emotions just pours out from her heart. And for the first time, there is a man who spoke to her uh, with love and kindness and gentleness, uh, with grace, uh, spoke to her even though she was a sinner. He spoke to her in her disobedience, not with a judgmental anger or thunderous self-righteousness, but with a holy love, a grace-filled love. He preached the law that showed her her deep rebellion and disobedience, her hard-heartedness and sin. But more important than that, he came to preach the gospel. Jesus says this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not die even though he lives. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And she heard Jesus' call to repent and to turn from her sins and trust in him for forgiveness. Her tears are not only from sorrow for sins against such a wonderful and amazing God, but tears of joy and of love for such a kind and loving Savior. And so she worships him. She pours her heart, her sorrows, her love as an offering of of devotion to Jesus. And she wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Uh, She understands uh, the depth of the forgiveness that was required to forgive her. She knows it is such a, a, a long, probably a long list a deep list, uh, a list that would uh, make us all blush, I'm sure, of the sins that she's committed, and she knows that God has forgiven her. Uh, I hope that you and I will consider, you know, we look at the woman here and we're like, oh, that's so great, what, how wonderful. Uh, I wish I could be, that, be like that. I wish I could... Uh, uh, show that kind of emotion. I, sh- I-, I wish I could have that kind of devotion. Um, you can. Uh, and the way is, you don't have to be a prostitute. You don't have to be a woman uh, of the city or a notorious sinner to recognize the depth of your own sin. Think about all the, the words that cut so deep into a loved one where it might, it might as well have been a knife through the heart the things that you've said, the mean things, the cutting things, the harsh things. Uh, Think about all the lies that you've told 
to those who, 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 who you loved and you lied straight in their face. No, I didn't do it. Think about the anger in your heart towards those whom you love. And Jesus says that you committed murder in your heart. Or think about uh, if you're married, you think about the, the lust in your heart uh, towards someone who's not your spouse. You've committed adultery in your heart. Uh, think about all the, those hidden sins that maybe uh, we hide from everyone else and we're all alone and we engage in the sin and we think no one is around to see us and so we, we're happy to do it. But God knows. Or think about the, uh, what, um, what uh, the Puritans used to call um, acceptable sins. Sins that we are happy to tolerate and put up with. And those, you know, those that we uh, engage in ourselves. Um, pride. Uh, we, we, have, we commit idolatry when we want to accumulate as much wealth as possible. And we call it uh, ambition rather than greed. Or we want to get ahead in our, in our professions, and so we work 16, 17, 18 hours a day, sacrificing uh, our time with our families, our spouses, our children, our communities. And we call it providing for our family, uh, when in, in reality it's the idolatry of success. We are too afraid to, be, to, uh, to fail. And so we work so that we never fail. But we throw everything, we sacrifice everything in the process. If we knew, if we remembered and, and knew in our hearts all the depth of our sin and then considered the forgiveness that we have received, we would all be like this woman. Uh, it's, it's so, it's amazing. Um, you know, I, we have uh, older fathers in the, in the faith, uh, ministers uh, in our presbytery who have ministered for 40, 50 years. And, uh, and they were sharing with me how over the years, uh, over the years, the, the more and more they ministered to God's people, the more and more they realized how much they needed God's grace, uh, not just for them, but for themselves. The more and more they realized how much they needed God's grace and how much they have committed in terms of their sins and how much it costs God to forgive them. Um, they cannot get through a sermon without weeping, with, with sadness over their own sins and with joy over the forgiveness of sins. And so that's my challenge for you, brothers and sisters, that, um, that the humility and repentance and sorrow for sins is not relegated to super-Christians who uh, are notorious sinners who have done you know, notorious things and they've been saved 
and you, you know, you've done little things. And so, you know, you, it's not that big a deal for you when God says your, your sins are forgiven. All of your sins are worthy of eternal punishment. Just one, just one. Uh, but yet all the sins that you've committed cost Jesus uh, his life. Friends, brothers and sisters, that's my encouragement to you this morning. Let me move on to my second point. We also see not only a faith that that is repentant and recognizes the need for Jesus, but a faith that ever knows the deep forgiveness of sins. With everyone watching, this woman shows her love for Jesus in such a public way that it offends some people, including the host. Uh, friends, brothers, and sisters, you know, sometimes you know, uh, sometimes you know or you feel bad when someone displays a deep amount of emotion uh, because we, are, we try to hide our, uh, how we really feel so well that when somebody who completely takes off their, their mask and they throw all etiquette uh, and um, an outward appearance out the window, it, it, it shocks us. It embarrasses us. And sometimes we even say, I don't know. That is just too much emotion. Uh, friends, brothers, and sisters, if, if that's how you feel, uh, let me just offer a piece of advice. Maybe it's because you are, you are happy to hide your own emotions. You are happy to hide uh, the struggles that are in your own heart. And so when somebody else uh, uh, breaks that mold and shares, shares their whole lives with those around us, it embarrasses us because, you know, we don't want to do that. And so we try to separate ourselves. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here, that the, the Pharisees and the way that the religious establishment has set things up, you hide you hide because if you share too much, uh, you are going to share even the, 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 all the, the negative and bad things that are in your heart and the things that you've done. So uh, look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Uh, and he's not only offended because of her outward display of such emotion, but he is offended because he only sees that she is a sinner. You see that? If he would have known who and what sort of woman that uh, uh, this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's That's all he sees. And what that implies there is he sees her as a sinner and, and he is not. Uh, and, and that he doesn't see, he doesn't see how grace works and, and the grace that is working in her life to where uh, she is, is pouring out her heart the way that she has. He doesn't see what she has become or what she has received. 
There's always so much more uh, to us than just our sin when we've been redeemed. There is the grace of God in our hearts and the forgiveness that we've received and the transformation that arises from it. And so in front of everyone, Jesus explains what's really going on. He teaches everyone why her, her actions demonstrate a faith that brings forgiveness. Look at verse 40. Jesus answering him, uh, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And then he tells a short parable. Uh, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Uh, and so now, which of them will love him more? When the debt of two people are canceled, when they're forgiven, which one is going to be more faith, faith, uh, more grateful? Which one will show more appreciation? Which, which one will love him more? And this is a very powerful argument that Jesus makes because it paints Simon into a corner and forces him to answer rightly. He's, he's, he's asking this question in front of all these people because of the, the, the display, this emotional display uh, that this woman uh, is, is exhibiting here. And so Simon reluctantly answers. You can even hear it in his response. I the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. It's almost as if he, Jesus is pulling the answer out of him. And Jesus answers, you have judged rightly. And then he gives a short parable, how that parable plays out in the life of both this woman of the city, the sinner, and uh, this, th this Pharisee who doesn't think he's a sinner. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, was, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. This whole scene is a living parable of what forgiveness looks like in the lives of two sinners. The woman is the greater debtor who is forgiven so much, and so she loves much. She knows the great debt of her sin that she has committed against God. But when it's forgiven, she knows how much she owes him and loves him all the more. But on the other hand, Simon the Pharisee doesn't think he's a sinner. Right? He's calling someone else a sinner. That's how you know, friends, real quick, that's how you know whether you know that you're a sinner or not. If you point at other people and say, he or she is a sinner, the implication there is, I am not. I'm not like them. Uh, maybe the, uh, the way that we ought to do it is, that person is a sinner like me. And not, in a, not in a condescending way, not in a judgmental way, but I'm a sinner and I understand uh, uh, th that this person is struggling in their sins too, right? Now, rather than kind of having that, that uh, snooty, snotty, condescending uh, attitude towards someone uh, who is uh, more, more openly seems like a sinner, but is just as much as a sinner as uh, he is. 
And the implication as well is not only does he think that he's not a sinner, but he thinks he's righteous. Right? He doesn't think he's a debtor at all. Do you know why? Because according to Jesus, he did not show Jesus any love or hospitality, not even, uh, not even uh, to a stranger. He's showing anti-hospitality because he sees Jesus in a very negative way. Because in the ancient Near East, in the ancient Near East, uh, it was a transgression of cultural norms to such an extent uh, if you don't, didn't offer them water to wash their feet because, it, you know, because of the dusty sandals, uh, or you didn't offer them a, a warm greeting, a kiss of greeting. Um, what, what Jesus is saying here in saying, you gave me no water, you gave me no kiss, you did not uh, anoint my head with oil, He's saying, you treated me worse than, than, uh, than anyone could ever treat anybody in terms of, of uh, welcoming, in terms of hospitality. And that means that he doesn't love Jesus. In fact, he's, he, 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 he's, he despises Jesus. And the reason then underlying that, that despising is that Simon doesn't think he needs Jesus. And so he is that person who, for him, God forgives little because he doesn't need to be forgiven. And because he, has, he feels like he's forgiven little or none because he doesn't see himself as a sinner, he loves little, if at all. And therein lies the proportion, the, the relationship of forgiveness and love. The more you know that you've been forgiven, the more you will love the one who has forgiven you. The less you've been forgiven, the less you will love the one who forgives you because it doesn't, you think that it's not very much. And I don't know where, you, where you're all walking in, in, in your life with Christ, but if you're like me, your love for Christ can grow very, very cold very quickly. Maybe life gets too busy and you forget what God has done for you in Christ. Maybe you're struggling with sin, like anger or lust. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Uh, it isn't what it once was and you're growing apart. In all of life's difficulties, you love little. What do you think is the remedy? Look at verse 47. Why does our love grow cold? Why do we love Jesus so little? It's because we forget how much we have sinned against God and we act more like we've been forgiven, if at all, and so we love little. But those who remember that they are forgiven much, love much. And so the way that we grow in our faith is to grow in our love, and the way that we grow in our love is to grow in our understanding of how much God has forgiven us. And it's not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing process. We grow in our understanding of how much we have sinned and how much we are forgiven. Those who think that they sin little will, will need forgiveness little, and therefore will love little. But if you know that you've sinned much, then you know your need for much forgiveness, and therefore, you will love much. <clears throat> Lastly, 
Faith not only recognizes our sins and the extent to which we are forgiven, but it also requires a personal trust in Christ for salvation and peace with God. In other words, faith is a profoundly personal uh, appropriation. It is a, a, a profoundly personal grasp uh, of who God is, and so it's personal in character. Uh, so what does that look like? What does it mean to be personal? It's when we recognize, receive, and rest upon Jesus to give us all that we need for salvation. Look at verse 48 and 50. Jesus knows what's in her heart. He knows what she really needs. Listen, look, listen to those uh, personal pronouns. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. See, by faith, she lays hold of Jesus and, and clings to her, clings to him for herself. She belongs to him and he belongs to her. All that she needs, Jesus gives in himself. All that he has, she receives in Jesus. Faith is that personal transaction that connects uh, one to the other and makes them one. She came to the party. She went looking for him and found him. She bowed at his feet and poured out her heart, her tears, and her treasure at the feet of Jesus. It's her faith and not someone else's. Not only is it personal in nature, it's personal in its object. Not only does she recognize her need, but she recognizes the one who will fulfill that need. She doesn't put her, her trust in an idea or a concept or some inanimate object. She places her trust in a person, a Messiah, a Savior. Her faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the friend to sinners. And her faith in him is what saves her, not faith in itself, not in being repentant, or not even her tears or sacrifice, but the one to whom she clings to. Jesus is the one who saves her, and she clings to that. She clings to him by faith. All the saving blessings are bound up in Jesus, and it is given to her by faith. Like an empty hand, faith reaches out and merely grasps the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ because he does all the saving. Luke and everyone else knows that everything is fixed and focused on Jesus. And verse 49 says this, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? It is Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners. He is the one who forgives sins. And this woman knows it. And my question to you is, do you know it? In all of this, Luke is going to answer their question later in the gospel. When Jesus pays the debt of her sins by dying on the cross... You see, forgiveness is never as easy as erasing a debt. It's always a costly thing to do. Somebody has to bear the cost of forgiving somebody else's debt. It may be, be free for us who receive that forgiveness, but it's never free for the one who offers that forgiveness, the one who gives that forgiveness. Someone has to pay that debt. If Jesus is the one who forgives, then he must be the one who takes the debt upon himself. 
And how did he do that? He takes it on the cross. This is exactly what he does. He took her debt, he took our debt, and paid our penalty by suffering and dying in our place. He paid it all so that we could be debt-free and gives us the riches of his righteousness and life. When the debt is paid and our sins are forgiven, then we are right with God. And this is what the Bible calls peace with God. This is why Jesus proclaims to her his peace that signifies this blessed relationship that she now has with God. Go in peace. And she understands it. Here's the the point of all of this. Uh, Luther calls the essence of Christianity, uh, it consists in the possessive pronoun. What makes this woman's faith an authentically saving faith is in that possessive pronoun that stands there along with faith. It's not just a general faith, but Jesus says, your faith has saved you. This is the personal, this is the essence of saving faith. What is your relationship to Jesus Christ? Is your faith a personal faith? Have you embraced him as your savior? Have you made him Lord? Have you placed your faith in him to where he can say your faith and and I belong to you and you belong to me? If you can do these things, if if you can put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for you in the gospel, in his death and resurrection, and you receive the forgiveness of sins, then you will be saved and you can go in peace as well. Faith recognizes and remembers the deep need for forgiveness by personally trusting in Jesus for salvation and in nothing else. And at the heart of it all is how we love God because he first loved us. And here's why those who have been forgiven much are the ones who will love much. We love because when we realize how much it costs God to forgive us, when we realize what Jesus sacrificed in himself to win our forgiveness, there and only there can we see the depth of God's love. Herein is, the, is, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his one and only son to be a propitiation, a sacrifice for our sins. That it is only at the cross when we see the love of God that wins for us our forgiveness will we truly understand the depth of what it costs Jesus and what it costs God and and the depth of forgiveness that we have received. And it wins us. It wins our hearts to love Jesus, to love God, because we know what it costs him. And we can say then with Paul, Uh, We cannot fathom the height, nor depth, nor breadth, or width of God's love. And that can never separate us from that love. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for for the forgiveness of sins.
the height, depth, breadth, and width of your love that procures for us that forgiveness. Help us then to love you, to love you more, to love you much, as much as you have loved us in forgiving us of our sins. Help us not to be people who who see our sins as little and therefore the forgiveness being little and therefore loving little. Help us to be like this woman, pouring out her heart, pouring out her tears, pouring out her love, the costly love, because you have given us the greatest cost, that you who did not spare your one and only son, how will you not then give us all things? That is our prayer this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.